Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that, contrary to all expectations, will not cry if you put on Judy Garland songs, uh, but has been known to shed a tear when Iron Maiden have played When the Wild Wind Blows, and when Blind Guardian have played The Bard Song in the Forest, and when Colt Luna have played Leave Me Here, and when Triptycon have played Goey, played Gersha, however you pronounce that. So basically the same stereotype, different soundtrack. I thought that might just be me, am I the only person who gets very t- very emotional at heavy metal shows? Sickly extreme metal shows. No, 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 it's all I've been there. I mean, I can't, I can't go with you on the first couple that you mentioned there. But, well, no one's know. perfect. <laughs> Talking of Judy Garland, though, did you weird start? But did you watch the uh, proms the other night where they did that like Broadway show? That was good. Uh, I didn't actually. What was what was it, it featuring? What was Judy Garland's song? Hit me, guess somewhere over the rainbow. Oh uh, no, 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 no! I just well, meant like with that whole that. with that whole sort of thing. I don't think there was any Judy Garland songs in it. I just oh, like that whole sort of scene. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I get, I get a bit kind of, I get strangely conservative with small C about the proms. I generally want them to kind of stick to classical music because it's not like Broadway needs people to be drawn in by it. But, yeah. No, I'm usually the same, but I just thought it was a bit of fun, you know. Yeah, and I, I can't think, imagine anyone you know comes in for Chicago, stays for Vaughan Williams, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, enough of musical theatre because there's plenty of time for being tired and emotional in the hate crew gay bar later. This is episode one of... No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely not. <laughs> it's definitely not episode one of Helmet for Metal. That was quite a long time ago, and uh, Joe's voice would have changed quite significantly if this was still episode one. Um, this, is, this is episode 41, even, of Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast in association with Knotfest. Uh, I am Tom Dare, and joining me, although actually quite briefly initially, is a man who claims not to like camp things, but last week admitted to owning six tattoo albums, despite them only releasing three, and to buying sparkly soup, as uh, regular listener Michael pointed out on Twitter. Matt Rushton, how do you respond to these allegations? Well, I mean, I think there's pictures online of my soup now, so, you know, can't really deny it. I'm not at it yet, though. I'm very excited for it. All the fucking sparkles. Yeah, it's, it can, it just can taste like shit, though, because those, sometimes those really spangly things actually just taste of additives. Yeah, like, um, was it, I used to, when I was younger, like, there was cupcakes with, like, was it, like, edible flowers or something on, or, like, paper flowers but edible it was weird. oh rice paper like, yeah yeah that's the one that always freaks me out yeah that's never good i never like that either but you know, enough of um you know icing cakes because this is starting a lot more gay than i intended and that's unusual for me to say before we get started you should if you follow our social media have noticed we've been calling to attention our they're not calling to attention. That sounds more like euphemistic than I intended. Uh, calling attention to our Camp Classic special on Anal, Athrax, and Darkament. Uh, this is only available to NotFest.com premium members, which gives you access to our specials, plus all their volumes of bonus content. Uh, links to that are all on our social media. But Matt, the whole that whole special was your idea. So maybe I should let you sum up what we're talking about if uh, if people are interested in going and listening to it. Yeah, so basically, um, we spoke for, I think, an hour and a quarter about an Unathrax album from 2020 and Darkament, um, which I just, ever since I first heard it, like, mainly in the lyrics, but a few other bits that we discussed as well, uh, I think it sounds super gay. There's a lot in pretty much each song that sort of speaks to me as a queer. Um, Tom came in without really sort of thinking there was anything, and I think by the end I'd managed to convince him. Um and that's not just because of the giant cocks on the cover. We also spoke a lot about 
uh, sort of self-liberation, how to, you know, deal with homophobes, I guess the similarities between, you know, homophobes and fascists, and there was also some positive stuff, but it was good fun. Uh, yes, yes, it was. Uh, it was good fun. I think. You, I think by the end you had convinced me that um, you aren't as completely batshit as I thought you were at the start. Um, if that all sounds as in- of interest to you, do check out our social media or go to notfest.com slash hell hyphen bent. You'll find it easily from there. Uh, now Matt's going to be back later, but right now I'm going to be joined by a very special guest who I will let introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Shelby Logan Warren. I'm the lead vocalist and keys player of the band Kairos, and I am a trans woman. Thank you very much for joining us, and welcome to the show, Shelby. Uh, let's obviously some of our listeners will know who you are, but uh, for those who don't, uh, can you just give us give us a, a little bit of background about about yourself and you know what you do in the band and about Kairos and how things have been going recently? Sure. So Kairos. I would describe as a cross between progressive rock, leaning towards kind of the 80s end of the progressive rock kind of spectrum. Think 80s, yes, 80s, Rush, and so a little bit of all of Genesis, maybe. Yeah, I was about to say, is, is Mr. Collins <laughs> going to make an appearance? He's, he's yeah. in there, yeah. The good old Phil's definitely in there somewhere. Um, but then bring in, a, bring in a bit of Duran Duran, and then a little bit of... Um, ABC and some Frankie Goes to Hollywood and some modern influences like uh, Toodle Cinema Club right through to Porcupine Tree and a little bit of Dream Theatre, you know, basically synth pop progressive, I guess it's uh, how I would maybe describe the Kairos sound, I guess. Nice. Um, and in terms of what I do, I am the lead vocalist and keys player. I founded the band back in, um, uh, oh gosh, when was that? 2012, 2013? And it's been a very interesting time because uh, <laughs> I feel like in the relatively, I don't know if I could call it short at this period, at this time, because it's actually almost been 10 years. It still feels like a relatively short time, but a lot has happened. You know, we've managed to tour the US, we've managed to tour um, Europe, and um, we've supported some pretty high profile bands and, and artists and done some great slots at festivals and we've gone through a lot of just weird situations trials and tribulations and all of that in the relatively short time that we've been going and of course um adding to the interesting background to us i guess you could say is is the fact that i came out as a trans woman recently as a matter of a few weeks ago actually so yeah, I, I I don't know what what else to say really because it's like that's been the thing that's been in completely all encompassing in terms of where my mind has been recently. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, just to, before we get into uh, everyone's questions, so the way this is going to work, ladies and gents, is that I'm going to uh, put your questions as we've received through the magic of the internet to Shelby, but I'm also going to throw in some of my own. So if I do veer off. Uh, off topic that's my fault not shelby's um so you say it's been kind of occupying a huge amount of your time for for people who wouldn't perhaps understand why it is that that big of a kind of big of a thing in your mind and of your calendar can you just put into words why that might be i guess i would say it's because 
on a on a personal level and on a public level it's been a massive change for me so like the fact that i've i've gone from this extreme sense of feeling very disconnected with how i look how i feel and how i present as a person and how other people perceive me to suddenly feeling incredibly comfortable with myself feeling a, a huge overwhelming sense of confidence positivity and just at the very basis at the very root level just feeling at ease you know and um i think the novelty of that hasn't quite worn away yet because i still catch myself in the mirror and i think wow the hormones are doing things and things are changing even if it's just if it's just subtly i'm looking at myself in the mirror each day bit by bit and noticing slight changes that are happening um so i should say for the record i started hormone replacement therapy back in july 2020 um so i actually recently hit a year of being oh, on congratulations. thank you very much and it's it has been it's been incredible it has been so affirming and just uh, incredible <laughs> just to, to would it be fair to say then that you, you just kind of it it feels right it feels like the real you is coming it, out it absolutely feels 100 percent right and that's the weird thing because like at the core i'm the same person that i've always been you know my personality yeah. won't change i'm still the same person i'm still gonna act the same way around people but i'm just gonna be the best version of me that there has ever been because i'm gonna be happier i'm gonna be more at ease i'm gonna be more confident with myself and i'm gonna be able to relay that in how i communicate with people and i've definitely seen that manifest in very interesting ways in the last year just um ev even s purely feeling more comfortable going outside you know or just speaking to strangers or speaking to people who i maybe don't know as well it's been incredible <laughs> brilliant well let's move on to the the questions proper now i'll stop getting in the way and um, the the first okay. question we first question we had actually was uh, can you describe the moment when you fully accepted who you were and were at peace with your identity yes so that's an interesting one because it's it feels like a very patchy kind of recollection of different periods in my life if i was to define a moment of yes this is the moment where okay I'm coming out to myself per se, and I am accepting of who I am. This is me. I am trans. I, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would probably say that would be February, March ish last year, so 2020. I went through a lot of things that led up to that thing happening in a very short amount of time. One of those things, actually, I should say of note, is um, is meeting another trans woman in person. And it was someone who, even though I didn't really get to interact with them much, it's someone who, for some reason, it's all it, it was all it took for me to be like, yeah, this, this, this person is cool and they're just living their life and they have a family and everything's just, there's nothing to question here. Everything's fine. Why can't I have this, you know? And it just, it made something click in the back of my head. Now, obviously I should preface by saying that there was a lot of things that led up to that, a whole decade of questioning, if not beyond that. And a lot of little, little things that I would just completely 
push down as much as I could, you know, thoughts here and there, I would just shake off as being like, nope, it's just a phase or nope, it's just a, it's just a, a, a weird little nugget of a thought bubble that I'm not even going to entertain because I'm too scared to even go down that rabbit hole. But meeting this person made me reconsider all of that. And the thing that then pushed me onto the next level of like, okay, what if I do a little bit of research on all of this was Reddit. Reddit was an incredibly valuable resource for me just as an educational tool. Obviously there are parts of Reddit that I stayed well clear of. Yes, I, I would recommend that because uh, for everyone. I know yes, the bits it, you mean. Indeed, yes. <laughs> However, um, a lot of the trans spaces on Reddit are very positive and very educational. Yeah especially some of the um, specific trans related subreddits that are there for learning about things like HRT and the medical side of transitioning, as well as um, the social side and, and just what it takes to, to get the ball rolling. And I learned about, um, well, <laughs> I learned about how hard it is to transition in the UK, which is a whole topic in of itself. It, it was very daunting to know that the waiting list here in the UK for even just your first appointment could be three, four years. So from the, from the get go, I knew, okay, I knew very early on, I need to, I, I'm going to have to go private with this. And I was very scared of how much that would cost. And thankfully the private um, clinic that I ended up going to they they work in a way where they're actually able to keep the costs down because they spread they they've got a membership fee which allows them to keep their some of their appointment costs down or any referral letters and things like that and prescriptions um down to a minimum and they really helped get the ball rolling you mentioned that there was this this moment having met this this other trans person and realizing they're just living their life and they're... Sorry, I keep on going on right. tangents. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. It's a podcast, that's what it's for. Uh, it's, um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think for... Would it be fair to say that that was a, a kind of a, a really important step on a journey? Or was that kind of... Was it this kind of uh, eureka moment, for lack of a less cliched term? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I, I think it was a massive eureka moment. And what was especially interesting was the fact that in the past I had met briefly, I'd met other trans women, but I never really interacted with them much or like just there wasn't an opportunity to kind of just sit down and be in the same room properly and just yeah. feel at ease and just feel chilled. And I don't know, it just for some reason in this particular situation, the combination of being in this relaxed environment, seeing that they were, well, they are, I should say, in a in a marriage and have children, and they're in a happy, stable situation, kind of made something click in my head that made me think, huh, I, I can have that, you know? And it's one of the things that really made me quite nervous in, in the past was the fact that I am married, so I, I had to come out to my wife and that was a massive thing that I had to build up to. But this specific meeting, this specific person made me feel confident enough to do that. And I should also say that this, um, this person, 
has actually gone on to I, I've I've now gone on to speak to the speak with them more, especially since coming out publicly, and they're now one of our um, Discord mods on the Kairos oh, Discord server. So it's quite it's quite a cool little like oh that's come around full circle, you know. And she's lovely. She's she's amazing. I don't know if I'm actually allowed to say her name. I don't know if she would be okay with that. Let's leave it out just in case she's not. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, just just are on the the side of caution. Yeah, um, of course, of course. I'm, uh, the reason I I ask is that for for my personal kind of uh, learning to accept who I was was much more gradual, and I can kind of I can point at specific incidents and say that was kind of important, that was kind of important, but it was it was a process. It wasn't there wasn't ever that kind of revelatory moment. I seem to remember a, a particular. I have a weird memory of, of a moment of kind of reaching a certain place on a bus outside a kebab shop in Archway. And I don't know why I remember <laughs> that. Places. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but it was kind of, that was very much a kind of one of many moments like that, that uh -huh. I can think of. So I'm kind of, I'm interested that for you, it was that clear. Well, again, I should say for the record that there was a very long period building up to that. And I guess I would maybe rephrase that situation as the straw that broke the camel's back. So gotcha. there was a very long period of like debating and there were definitely thoughts in my head. Like I said, go spanning back 10 plus years. And the reason why I say 10 years in particular is as I remember having these thoughts really come into fruition back at the age of 15, 16. And um, before then, when puberty was really beginning to kick off, I definitely felt like something was not right. There was something that was just not right. And it felt confusing. It felt horrible. It felt just like there was just this thing that I couldn't quite put my finger on as to why I was so uncomfortable with the fact that puberty was setting off when all these other people around me were so excited about puberty and the fact that it was kicking off. Puberty for me actually set in a little bit late as well, like a good year or two late than everyone else around me. Not helped by the fact that I was always the youngest in the year, because if I was born a day later, I'd be in the year below. So that didn't help. <laughs> but um, that was a very interesting experience, seeing people around me go through puberty and then I would be lagging behind but then it, when it did kick in it was this massive sense of wait a minute no no I don't like this I'm not liking this at all but not being able to yeah. put my finger on why I didn't like it was a very interesting thing especially looking back and as it began to dawn on me as the as the thoughts started to creep in of like huh what if I'm trans what if what if this is actually some sense of gender dysphoria that I'm feeling way back when I was 15 16 I would instantly just be like, no, 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 no. I'll grow out of it. I'll get used to it. Everything will be fine. Yeah. You know, it's just a phase is the kind just of thing. Just a phase. Yeah. And a then, lot of LGBT plus people will hear that phrase. Exactly. And just like, yes. <laughs> but no, it was not a phase because I reached a whole 10 years later at the age of 26. And I thought, nah, this is things. This is this is this ain't it. Yeah. <laughs> Things are not right. And constantly through those 10 years, I would just be feeling miserable. And I, I should also stress that I went through a, a hell of a lot of um, mental health anguish and just like yeah. 
horrible situations that um that manifested through my mental health just really taking a dive because of me just not wanting to come to terms with this and 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 who would have thought you know coming to terms with this and beginning my transition helped my mental health leaps and bounds it's like why should that be a surprise but of course it's like yeah <laughs> yeah of course I mean, you mentioned that you you when you were a teenager you had you had some certain realization that what you were feeling might mean you were trans was there was there a clear moment where you you knew that what you were feeling might mean that <laughs> there were many moments i think one of the key defining things was whenever i would see like i feel like this is such a cliche kind of thing for for trans um people to say whether or not trans women or trans man like it it's this sense of like being able to differentiate between being attracted to someone and wanting to be presenting like someone like oh yeah. i love what they're wearing i love their clothes i love their makeup i i love how they are presenting themselves and how they feel comfortable as they are themselves and it's strange because sometimes the, the lines can be blurred because your brain can't quite piece together what it is the this feeling is because it's no one ever talks about that you know no one ever talks about um what even is that called gender envy <laughs> and like that was something that i felt all through the years and i remember speaking to people about this spoke to my parents about this and they would shut it down and just say nope nope and anytime i wanted to explore my gender presentation whether that be through um certain types of clothing or just even just talking about gender in in a purely societal context i feel like it was always shut down growing up you know it's only really in the last five six seven years that things have really taken off if not more so in the last two three years actually yeah and um people are now talking about it more openly more confidently and people are just more accepting about talking about this thing as a whole whereas when i was growing up no you know i, I remember speaking to um one of my closest friends uh 10 years ago about questioning and being confused about myself as a person and my my identity and it, anytime i brought that up the conversation would always it would never really lead anywhere because i think everyone always felt uncomfortable about having that conversation even when i was speaking to some of my closest friends and i think most people can't relate to that overwhelming sense of gender dysphoria and how it can impact your identity and how yeah, how it can manifest in basically an identity crisis uh, and then that of course extends further into some of the ways it manifested in my mental health i was experiencing bizarre things like depersonalization derealization and just disassociative issues and obviously that then came out in um depression and just feeling completely miserable all the time and the worst thing about it was just course, yeah, it not would. being able to put my finger on why it was exactly that i was feeling these things because i was so heavily in denial even though deep down i knew something was going on i just refused to entertain 
the fact that I'm trans, you know? Yeah, and not being yourself can take an enormous toll. I'm sure there are many people listening from all backgrounds who can understand that. Absolutely. And the thing is, is in recent years, especially from, I would say from 2016 onwards, my mental health really, really took a dive. Um, it, it like especially so in 2016 because we had a lot of stuff happening in the band as well we just split up from our label we had a lot of management issues combined with a, a couple of other stresses that were happening at that time and and all of this confusion coming to a real head at that time as well just yeah i, I was put on antidepressants i i i went to therapy and and even still then I refused to entertain the idea of being trans. It just wasn't, it just wasn't something that I was going to admit to myself. I just couldn't accept it. And it's kind of grim to think, where would I be now if I'd continued that mindset, you know? And I, as scary as it is for me to say this, I, I don't know if I would like still <laughs> be able to be living my life the way it is now if i would even still be here if i had not come to the like come to the fact come to the realization that i'm trans at the beginning of last year i think it would have taken its toll in a drastic way beyond beyond any... what it already was yeah exactly yeah and it's it's it is grim to think of it um in that way but i think it just goes to show that it was a thing that was only going to manifest and climb and climb and climb until something happened. It kind of doesn't bear thinking about, does it? So mm. that even though the kind of, obviously there's a certain amount of a, a fear to admitting to yourself. And obviously there are, you know, as you've mentioned, very real practical barriers beyond the, the emotional and psychological ones. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are also the, you know, you, where, and when when anyone is in the closet, the fear of coming out is, oh God, what are people going to think? So it, it was taking such a toll on you that none of those things really were. Exactly. They weren't. They weren't. They were the lesser of two evils. Yep. Exactly. I was prepared to basically sacrifice it all. You know, I was prepared to sacrifice friendships, social circles, even even the progress that we'd made as a band risking it all with how our fan base could react yeah. um because i just i knew that this was something that i had to do otherwise it would have just been it would have been a dark path that things could have gone down and sure. as you say it's not even worth bearing thinking about because it's just it's 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 kind it's of pretty grim. grim yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> i mean you mentioned the the progress you've made uh as a band and the fans i mean it Obviously, in the scheme of what we're talking about, that isn't the most important thing. But if you're a musician, obviously, it's a big part of your life. Given that the audience for Chorus's kind of music, I mean, you mentioned it's you know, there's the 80s influence, and obviously, prog and much like metal has plenty of fans who are a little older. <laughs> How much of a concern was there that there were going to be some people who just really didn't understand what you were saying and would take it badly? It was one of my biggest concerns, I would say. It it had a massive effect on on how I came out to myself and why it took so long. Because as the band was really taking off through the years, it was something that influenced 
how much I would repress this, you know? It's one thing to come out to friends and family and and my wife. But at the end of the day, we run the risk of potentially alienating the lifeline, the lifeblood of what we are as a band, our, our fans, you know? that's They are what keep us going. And honestly, there was that massive anxiety of the fact that we do have an older fan base, especially on Facebook. However, in the last few years, um, especially since growing our Discord uh, community, we've we've seen a lot of younger people come our way. And a lot of those younger people are very open-minded. In fact, it doesn't phase sure. them at all, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I consider that a massive blessing. The fact that we've had this younger audience come our way in the last few years did make me feel a lot more comfortable. How did your fears compare to what actually happened? See, that's interesting. That. that That's the interesting thing. And that's a good question because there's this massive disconnect in my head between what I thought was going to happen <laughs> and what actually did, did end up happening. I thought we'd get a, a whole lot of people that would be like, ugh, can't, I can't deal with this. I'm going to, I'm going to go away and not listen to Kairos anymore. Unlike, then, unfollow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it Always would divide it would like divide the fan base however that's not what has happened at all <laughs> people have just carried on and they've not cared and i guess if there are any people out there that are not cool with this i think they've just receded into the shadows and just not said anything which is okay whatever you do you you know better than saying or doing anything leaving any abuse fine quite but no, everyone who has been vocal about this has been so incredibly supportive and it has been incredible. It's been nothing short of incredible. For the most part, people just don't care. You know, people are just here because they enjoy the music. They enjoy us as people and they they want to see the music live. They want to hear more music as to how I am and how I present. It's not really any of their business, is it? And I no. think a lot of people respect that, which was a, a, a massive relief. Sure, of course. And anyone who was vocal about it was just very supportive. Very, very supportive. Well, that's excellent. I mean, you you mentioned you're you're out quite recently, so this this it's possible you might not be able to answer this question. But have you already experienced being asked about? whether you've had surgery or intimate details about your sex life by complete strangers who would not dream of asking a cis het person about their sex life or genitalia surprisingly i've actually not had that and i was expecting maybe some people to to come my way with that but i think maybe it's just the echo chamber that i i'm in but a lot of people seem to be pretty respectful of that and know that there is etiquette to this and know that that's not something that you ask, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> regardless of who you're speaking to, that's just not something that you, you bring up. Yeah. So thankfully it seems I've been quite lucky in that, uh, I've not had the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a weird thing to us because you'd never walk up to, you know, if you had a, you know, a cishet, uh, male friend, no one sane would just randomly say, so are you circumcised or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Because everyone will go, that's a really inappropriate question. Why do you ask? Yeah. And, and like, know, why do you need to know? Like, yeah, why are, do, you going, why are you going to the fact that some people feel a sense of 
of needing to know what the gen what this person's genitalia are or just what they've got going on downstairs because it changes the way they perceive them like that i feel like that's kind of screwed up like yeah. i don't know why that should affect how you treat people or how or how people um how you interact with people in your life you know um it, it really shouldn't that sounds like one for the sociologists i'm tempted to i'm tempted to i know we've got a couple of followers on twitter who are sociologists so i might i might make them be like so are there papers on this and if so can you summarize <laughs> yeah. them for a lay person who won't understand them? i would um, genuinely be interested in learning why why that is the case i feel like that's the sort of thing that someone like um uh, maybe she already has gone into it but one of my favorite youtubers contrapoints it sounds like the sort of thing that she would delve into like the, de the, de the why people are perceived differently depending on some people's desire for their gender to match up in their heads with what they perceive should be going on downstairs yeah there's also it, it, almost certainly some kind of significance of the penis in, in yes. well, right in that the, yeah. it's this bizarre you know if you've got one that makes you better but why don't be stupid <laughs> But that's it's this weird thing that has I've, we've spoken about it a little bit before, but people kind of ascribe this power and significance to something which is you know obviously if it's a gay man it's of great interest, but actually when you kind of if you think about it sensibly, it's not that important really. Mm. And we seem to ascribe as a society just this bizarre. I'm going to get on a soapbox if I'm not careful. Perhaps I should move on. But you get the point. <laughs> no, but it, it's a really interesting topic because like. I know it, if there's if there is any way that um, ContraPoints has touched on it, touched on it is the fact that um, in a medical sense it does change what is going on down there, if very subtly. So that whole putting a sense of power to it, yeah, and the fact that it is affected by HRT is like okay, there's definitely a blurring of the lines here in terms of what. Is def it, it can be defined as a quote unquote masculine penis. <laughs> it's it's still ir irrespective of any of that though. It's definitely not the kind of thing that it's appropriate to ask a coworker over a coffee. No, is it? Like, absolutely it, it, not. It definitely should not be something that you just ask anyone who yeah. you you just want to bring up in in any kind of relaxed conversational. Yeah. Well, I hope situation. that means that. That there's things are changing and not just that you've got a very fortunate social service. Um, <laughs> yeah. do, speaking of, of of that though, do you think that there are people who you've met recently, either in life or through music, and I'm, I suppose I'm more interested in the music if if I'm being blunt, who might not understand quote unquote per se, but are at least able to act respectfully, you know, respect things like pronouns and, and use your actual name rather than say something that is would be rude. I mean I, I should say that I, I've been very lucky with that as well. People have been very respectful of um of my pronouns and, and my name. And anytime there's been any mistakes, people have been incredibly apologetic for it. And I suppose I think the the only people that are like it, clearly they're trying their hardest, but it's taking a little bit longer for it to get through is my parents, right. which I don't think is a surprise considering, you know, they've known me my whole life. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> they've known me 
has a has a different uh, with different pronouns and a, and a different name my whole life. So it's 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 taking a little bit longer, but they're getting there. They're trying. I can see that they're trying. Yeah. And they are very apologetic when they do make the mistake. It's just I do, I have to bring it up, and it's like I'm trying to figure out what is the best way to really hammer it down. And I think I saw a tweet a while ago that said the one way that this person in particular managed to get through to their parents was that they carried an air horn around with them. And, <laughs> And every time oh were, i love that every time they were misgendered or, or or dead named by their parents they would just sound the air horn and in a matter of less than a week fixed it they never they were never dead named or misgendered again by their parents because it just set in it created a, a link in their brain of oh, like nope shouldn't do that oh it's a pavlovian thing if they yes. start to if they start to say the wrong thing exactly. the brain just goes no nope, you're gonna get a big noise exactly exactly so you know i am <laughs> maybe i should do that i have to ask this question because i'm never sure how i feel about it myself how many brownie points do people get for trying even if they're getting it wrong with you i i'm always very respectful of the fact that people uh, th there's a difference between people who are trying and make an honest mistake versus people who know that they are purposefully going out of their way to be a dick, right? I think people who are trying, even if they're making mistakes, they, they deserve brownie points, you know, because it goes to show that they are trying to put the effort in. And I do respect the fact that it is a change to make. Granted, if it's five 10 years down the line and you're still making that mistake, even not even five years down the line, if it's two years down the line and you're still making that mistake and we've been communicating, okay, something's not quite right there. Yeah. However, I can understand it being a muscle memory thing and honest mistakes are honest mistakes, right? Yeah. So the reason I bring it up is that over the years, I've kind of my patience for it has got thinner it's not i've got more patient um i mean obviously there was the, there's the every gay man listening will probably recognize this to some degree or another there is the touchy phase after you're just out and you're very sensitive to certain things and that you read too much into things that are saying and you're still defensive and then eventually you grow up and get over it but beyond that i kind of i have my my feeling has become more and more like there are certain things that people should just get and there are some things that I'll be patient with, but actually there are some things where, sorry, you should be getting this right first time now. Like it's not, that isn't such a difficult concept. So I'm always interested whether that's just me and I'm just becoming a grumpy <laughs> bastard or whether actually that's something that quite, that is becoming more common that people are feeling actually you, there are certain things you should just get right time one. And there are other things where you get, second chances but come on guys this thing is not very difficult i there's a potential that my patience might eventually wear thin when time does pass you know i i'm still in the early days of my transition i'm still in the very very early days of being out publicly so that could change in a matter of months you know i don't i don't know where i'm going to be this time next year when it comes to that however i have always been very tolerant of people and i know when it comes to differing opinions on worldviews what i tend to do is i try to i try to meet people where they're at to then try and explain things to them when it comes to politics or anything like that try and explain things in a way that they can try 
you know, really try and see where I'm coming from. And that, I, I think that's a very hard thing to do. Um, and it's, it's, it's part of the reason why I just don't really get involved with Twitter, because I feel like that kind of conversation yeah. can't really happen on Twitter because it just it eradicates nuanced, full blown, you know, discussions. Yeah, there's some really things Twitter is good for. That's not one. That's not it. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, it could just be where I'm at right now, but we'll see. We'll see. You know. Sure. No, no, no. It's I'm I'm always interested. It's just it's one thing that I, I kind of I'd like to know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we have been um, talking for a while, and I'm I'm aware that uh, that I don't want this podcast to be over long, so I think I might make this question. The last one. By the way, if you've heard a scrabbling noise throughout this, I should possibly uh, point out that the uh, Shelby has a bearded dragon behind her. Yes, I do which, apologize. Which I, I have I can see, but you can't. So I know that 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 noise in the background is a uh, extremely cute reptile and not um, something wrong with our audio. Um, yes. So that is Belly, the bearded dragon, and he of all days has decided to pick today to um to do what is called glass surfing where he wants to get out of his tank and it's very annoying because uh he has not done this in weeks and yet today he's decided to he wants you know he wants yeah. to cause a bit of a ruckus yeah your your bearded dragon's doing that my cat was sick just as we were about to start recording <laughs> yeah. it's, that it's... was comedy timing honestly yeah, oh god brilliant yeah <laughs> it is a animal magic day on hellbent for metal um you, <laughs> i believe that you've got a a, a question from uh yes. one of the Kairos fans that you'd like to answer yes indeed so on our discord from joran so Joran asks, uh, how has it impacted my relationship with my wife? And I think this is a very interesting question. And it's one of those things that a lot of people are, are from what I gather, a bit too scared to touch on for obvious reasons. You know, it's quite a personal question. Yes, However, you can't get much more personal unless there are children involved, really. Yes, but I, I, I feel like... I know that if I was in other people's situations, other people, other people's shoes looking into this, I would definitely be curious. And I think I feel comfortable enough where I am now. And I know my wife, Becca, is comfortable enough talking about this. So I, I, I certainly have her blessing when it comes to this. Um, we, we've actually been in a very positive um, place since, since me coming out. It's actually been a very interesting turn of events the the first couple weeks was definitely a shock and for her it took some time to really absorb but then there was a moment there was a click and since then everything has just been we our relationship has been stronger we've been happier as a couple everything feels more at ease and i think that the fact that i've been more happier as a person and more at ease with my social interactions with everyone around me, not just my wife, has clearly come out in a way where it's definitely had a positive effect on us as a couple, as a marriage, as a married couple. So I guess to hit the nail on the head, it's had a positive effect on us. It's been amazing. She's been incredibly supportive. She is, I I, I call her my supporter number one because she is the most supportive person that i know she's been there from day one and has been incredibly positive about 
wanting to make sure that I am comfortable and wanting to make sure that I'm living my best life when it comes to my transition and everything that I'm going through. That's amazing. So, yeah. She sounds fantastic. I need to she make is it fantastic. <laughs> we can we can make that happen, I'm sure. Brilliant. Well Shelby, I'm I'm think we're going to uh wrap up our section of the podcast here for for now thank you so much for coming on answering what are questions that i would never dream of asking someone on the podcast regularly because they are personal right <laughs> so thank you thank you very much for being so open and for, vo- for literally volunteering welcome. to do this absolutely very welcome it's been a pleasure This is Ghost from Unrequited and the Ember of the Ash, and you're listening to Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast. I wander casually into the familiar surroundings of the Hate Crew Gay Bar, where Matt is waiting for me. Uh, what cocktails are you treating us to today, mate? Well, actually, we were talking about beer a little bit ago off air, but we're not having a cocktail today, Tom, because I've got some brand new sours, like not sours as in like apple sours, like, oh god no, like beer sour style. Um, but I've got one in the fridge with orange, ginger and star anise, which I'm very much looking forward to. So we're going to have a couple of those. Oh, that sounds perfectly gay. That's perfect mm. for hate for a gay bar, very definitely. Uh, I, have to, I, I think I'm going to start gently with a, a gin and tonic. By the way, it's uh, lovely to be back with you for anyone new here. This is where we need to keep the jukebox of our heavy metal gay bar topped up with ace music. So each pick a release every week to add to it. Uh, though we might unite on one occasionally, which I suspect might be happening soon, but isn't this week. Matt, what have you brought with you to put in on this visit? Uh, Good luck with pronunciation here as well. I think I've got it. Um, Is this six full-length effort from German proggy black metalers, a group near? How'd I do? Uh, As far as I can tell, that's pretty good. Yeah, get in. Um, so, a group me are a band who up until a couple of weeks ago uh, were not on my radar at all, and I think that is about to change um, quite drastically, because uh, I think this is probably my favourite um, straight up, or at least straighter up, um, black metal release of the year. I think this is fucking brilliant. Um, 68 minutes of nasty, sort of pained vocals, but some absolutely beautiful instruments and soundscapes, really impressive genre nuance weaving and riffs galore tom surely you like this it's well good isn't it there's ah, like there's no way there i was is. gonna not like this <laughs> like i have i need to kind of say that i'm not sure quite how great i think it is yet i but i know it's fantastic i'm just searching for the ceiling of how much i like it right yep. so i'm just kind of I, i'm i'm on the way up and i'm still going up and i know i haven't reached how the kind of peak of how much i'm gonna like it yet um that you're right that the riffs just jump out don't you I mean, before you notice anything else they're thrilling what i like though is that it's not just that it's that there's lots of texturing cleverly though mm-hmm. like although there is lots of texture it's not smothering any of the guitar work at no point is the guitar work obscured by something that it sh- that should be getting out the way to let the guitar work show off. It's it's really really well done, and it it really does show off how good the raw ideas are. The basics are all really strong. Yeah, I think so. Um, saying on that, there's a part in um, Sculptor Aus Ice that sort of verges on like out of tune, but um, sort of fits with the almost 
atonal nature of the music below and how that song ends sort of four minutes of essentially post-rock with like really nice keys and electronic elements which who do you think i'm going who do you think i'm going to compare that section to um call of luna no but you're not far plagues correct (laughs) that the bit where it goes quiet and it's got that kind of wandering guitar part sounds like uh, a song called all life converges to some center by aura plagues it's not quite that bleak like yeah. that song basically is like the one of the most deathly final songs I've ever heard. But it's this isn't quite there. This is just kind of this is eight and a half out of ten bleak, not Marks and Spencer <laughs> bleak. <laughs> but yeah, like like you were saying, um about sort of texturing and everything, that there's loads of like I said, electronics and whatever going on there, but it, they're really subtle, but they sound great in the mix and let everything else sort of have its own space and breathe as well. I think this record is produce it sounds spectacular yes it does i mean it's produced the production i actually had to check if victor santura had done it victor santura who's most famous for being in tripscon but also has a band called dark fortress who are wicked and he's also got a really he's also a really good producer so i think maybe the kind of the reason i think it sounds a bit like dark fortress is that they're german and there is definitely a german black metal sound right and the they're all gonna kind of have some shared tropes they keep i've seen them compared a lot to der weg einer freiheit who i'm yeah they're fine but i'm not a really big fan of i don't really hear that because the der weg einer freiheit are a lot more savage than this i felt it was more like shamash like before shamash went really experimental certainly yeah, the vocals say, the last couple of shamash records have been like really quite esoteric haven't they yeah i'm more kind of thinking contradiction um perhaps not quite that kind of wandering but he, he, his vocals really remind me of Chris's vocals. Mm. Um, so th- uh, there, there's some really good comparisons that I'm making there. Those are all, maybe apart from the one I said I wasn't quite as kidding. They're all bands. I think if I'm comparing you to them, I must really fucking like you because they're all really good. The thing that I find most impressive and the reason that I haven't like reached my peak of enthusiasm for them yet is that Every time I listen to it, I notice a little detail that I didn't before and that actually is either drawing me in and and making me notice more how tortured the whole thing feels or making it more memorable. So whether it's kind of it's one riff being repeated again later in the album, but in a completely different format, and you're going, oh, yeah, that's that that's that harmonic pattern from earlier in in the piece. That's really clever. Or whether it's a riff that you thought was the same thing being repeated over and over again, but actually there's little articulations that change every single time they play it. And it's clear there's a bit of improvisation going on and it's, it makes it feel much more spontaneous. And it's, it's, it's things like that, that the more you listen to it, the more you get out of it, even though like immediately you just go, yeah, that's a killer riff. Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess memorable, like you don't often, you don't get a lot of like black metal stuff um stuck in your head but there's i think there's a lot of that for me but um there's a a lot of variety as well for something which i think if you were to have this record on in the background and not like pay sort of full attention to it on a surface level i think it could sound fairly straight ahead which but the variation no exactly but like the variation that you notice when you actually pay attention to it like i said it's 68 minutes but i think that helps it not seem like that I think it's too long. That's the only real criticism I've okay. got. I think they could easily have cut 15 minutes off and made it better. If they can't find 20 minutes of it, 15, 20 minutes to dump, they should have 
split it into an album and an EP or made it a double album so there's clear cut in the middle. Well, that's what I was going to say as well because, like, I think the last three tracks probably add up to about 20, 22 minutes. And I think they have a sort of different vibe going on. Like, one of them, yeah. um, which one is yeah, it? Yeah, I agree with that. I think on Am Ende der Welt, Teil 2, I think that's fucking brilliant. Like, the, the start with the clean guitars which i think they sound different and i guess more melodic than anywhere else on the record and there's some really thrashy riffs too like it's actual thrash metal here or am i going mad <laughs> uh i mean i need more time with it to pick out things like that i think because i do find myself my attention wandering a bit in the second half so the little details like that are the kind of things that i picked out in the first half but not so yeah. much in the second yet but i'll get there i yeah, just need fair. more time with it no, I'm I'm the same. Like I still sort of um I've listened to maybe six, seven times, but I'm still getting more out each each time. And they've like I said, there's their sixth record. I think they're all over an hour long. And I mean, I'm looking forward to going back. But like, there's so much here. Like songs like uh Fevustan starts with a genuinely sort of lovely arpeggiated guitar backed up by gorgeous tones in the leads, and bursts into the black metal stuff there. But it has these almost choral sort of chamber vocals underneath, which just gives everything this really warm feel. And then some awesome guitar octaves and sort of tom work on the drums, which keep you in that vibe that they're trying to create constantly. Nice. Well, thank you for bringing this on, because this is Wicked. Metamorphosis by a Agrupnee is in the jukebox now. My pick, as you will probably have guessed from the voice you heard just before I arrived in the Hate Crew Bar, is Beautiful Ghosts, the new album from Unrequited. Uh, who is the first artist to have two entries in the jukebox, I should point out, oh, yeah. um, because I put his last album, Empathica, in right back in episode one. Uh, and suppose technically he, has, he actually has three, because we already put The Ember the Ash in earlier this year, and it's the same guy. Yeah, prolific, isn't it? Yeah, he's just ridiculous. Uh, unrequited for anyone who, who hasn't caught them yet, use black metal as a starting point, and then build these glorious uplifting soundscapes from there it has vocals both shriek and clean but never any lyrics just kind of expressions of emotion in their realest form and has some glorious orchestration and noise for texture as well as some really beautiful clean guitars and it is overall absolutely sublime and beautiful ghost is as good as ever he's incredibly prolific in five years of releases and he's never done anything that i don't think is very good uh, and while I suspect Matt might come in in a second and rain on this parade, I actually don't care. I'm just going to sing in the rain <laughs> if he does, because this is oh, this is wonderful. Um, I don't think I'm going to do that. Right. So obviously, you know, you um, I was listening to the pod as a fan when you spoke about Avathica and obviously you go on about it like a lot. <laughs> so every no apologies. No, that's what I mean. Like every couple of months, really. Um, I go back to that record and it's still not quite clicking for me. Um, after getting so into Violet Cold earlier this year, I thought I may have more chance. It's not massively similar per se, but I think it's the really sort of euphoric, uplifting black metal stuff, which um, has the same sort of yeah. vibe. Yeah, it does. And I think I'm nearly there. I think I'm close with it. I am liking this album a bit more each time I listen to it. It's it's a slow process, but it's growing. I think at this point, my main issue is actually one of the things you just said, which is a completely personal thing to me. It is the lack of lyrics. Um, I think for me, if something has vocals, I like them to be words, not just sort of sounds most of the time. And I know you that like may sound Anna weird. You like Anna Mathrak. 
Touche. Who literally had a song on the last album that was just squeals. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair, but they always have some lyrics, don't they? I think like a And I group me is in German. You don't speak German. I speak a bit of German. <laughs> you can't um, pronounce any of it, apparently. I did well there. Yeah, after after looking it up. And and after Harpooya. Oh my god, I'm not even trying to be harsh here. I just I said it's a personal thing. I'm not I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no. I'm just I'm just winding you up. No, I completely understand that. I it's something that doesn't bother me in the slightest because I don't yeah. pay a huge amount of attention to lyrics until I'm into something. Unless something just jumps out and, and says, This is really clever, listen to this like clever thing. Like yeah, yeah, sure. someone's doing some wordplay or something. Like I said, I, I think I'd rather this be instrumental at this point, and that's not anything against his actual vocal. Like, I'm not saying, you know, some people have, like, a really great in sort of scream or something. It's not that at all. It's just the lack of um, actual sort of lyrics. So. What about the clean vocals that kind of provide texturing over the top? Because yeah, I, I think like they're them. kind of indispensable, even though there's no lyrics there. Yeah, there's one song um, to, in the second half of the album where there's some really, really lovely clean vocals, and... I guess I'm more used to hearing that sort of thing without lyrics um, because it's a lot of like just sort of harmonies and stuff and it is more I think used as an instrument like you said for texturing to sort of give another layer and I think it works really well I think it's beautiful. Okay well I mean uh, you mentioned Violet Cold and it is it is definitely a a link that I've drawn myself and certainly my better half has, has at times when I've been listening to the Unrequited Records you know, all of them. Um, he said, "Is this Violet Cold?" And I was going, "No, it's unrequited." But the, I think the difference is that Violet Cold's just like pure bliss out. Like you put it on, it's just this kind of state of of perpetual bliss. This is much more varied in that there are times when Ghost will try and break your heart, and and if you're me, he will succeed. There's way more in the way of anguish, but it always comes back, and usually comes back very quickly. To basically, in musical terms, saying, it's okay, it's all right, it's going to be fine. You know, it's an album where the first song is called All Is Lost, and then the last song is called All Is Found. And that's basically the journey it tries to take you on. It takes feelings of unhappiness and loneliness and despair and tries to turn them around and make them feel like you can get through it. And it's just wonderful, I think. Yeah, that final track, All Is Found, I think is my favourite on the record. Oh, it's, it, yeah, um, that's the best song on the record. Yeah, it's like five minutes of sort of build over the same sort of chord progressions, adding just new layers each time it repeats, and it is bloody brilliant. It's the most emphatically optimistic and heartwarming thing I've heard in metal in a while, and it is a perfect way to close out the album. I do love a lot of the parts of this whole record, the strings are so fucking luscious. The use of piano all the way through is really inspired. It's all very nice, isn't it? Which is often not a word at all you'd associate with any type of metal, never mind sort of black metal inflected stuff. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I don't feel that it is... I mean, it is nice, yes, but it isn't like saccharin or no 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 cloying or or it's and it's not escapist right it's not just saying here ignore your worries and listen to this like it's saying no no you deal with them but just get you know work through them it's it's like being hugged when it's cold outside or your cat jumping on your lap when you're upset and wanting a cuddle it makes you feel that everything is okay or at least that it might be okay sometime soon and it somehow manages to have more joy in it 
than seems possible for something that does start in black metal. I mean, there's still black metal riffs in there and he does shriek and, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's just all nicey, nicey and, and, you know, clean pianos and stuff like that. It's, I I just think it's wonderful. Can you tell? I can't. (laughs) There's a part in Funeral Pyre um, where I think, like we were saying, the record is probably as at its heaviest that it gets. And then all the sort of quote unquote metal instruments like drop out and just give way to acoustic guitar, strings, piano, vocals in the higher register. That bit literally sounds like Devin Townsend when he did Empath. Yeah, it does. It does. But it, 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 and again, with that. Epicloud, not Empath. What am I talking about? (laughs) With Epicloud, it sounds so natural even though it's like such a juxtaposition and it's beautiful and then there's these massive chugs on the guitar when it comes back in you think it's about to get super heavy but it manages to walk that line really well throughout the whole record i think and it's mad to me that this is the guy from ember the ash (laughs) yeah right and you mentioned all those those bits in in uh funeral pyre the clever thing i think about that that song is that despite the fact it changes course multiple times it, you never actually notice the joints that much. It's just it's mm-hmm. like you've moved from you know the cloud is overhead to the cloud is the sun is out. It's that's all that happens, and nothing yeah. else really seems to change. And it's you know I've listened to this thirty times now, so I've noticed a lot of these kind of small details. It, basically, there is this overarching theme, musical theme, that links everything together. So when it goes from like metal to you know post rock, there is a big post rock bit. It it all feels completely effortless what happens is that it makes everything feel manageable and that it's it's throwing a lot of ideas at you but saying no you can deal with this you can come with it and it all actually feels quite tranquil and it it means that it always feels like there's motion and that it's still moving on and it stops it from dragging or being chin stroking he's trying to make you feel he's not trying to show off how clever he is and you know you you say he's mad that he's the guy from the Ember the Ash. In the last twenty months, he's done the Ember the Ash album. He's done a, a split w- release with uh, a band called uh, Azuna Jockey, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, as Unrequited, and that, and he's done three Unrequited full length albums, and all of it's great. I mean, the last album was my album of twenty twenty, and I think is one of the best albums I've ever heard. And this is going to be in serious competition for that spot this year. That is the last time I'm going to say that for the next like few months because we're not all that far away from mm. you know the last releases of the year being kind of announced. But if this isn't in my top five at the end of the year, fucking hell, there's going to have to be some amazing <laughs> shit to come out in the next three months. Ghost is a genius. He likes it. <laughs> I like it. Well, I should draw this to a close because I will prattle on about this forever. Uh, Beautiful Ghosts by Unrequited is in the jukebox now. And that is, unfortunately, time at the Hate Crew Gay Bar and all we have for this week. Thank you to Shelby and thank you to Matt, as always, of course. Thank you, Tom. Wonderful as ever. Yes, and your sarcasm could you know, melt steel <laughs> beams. Um, we will be back next week when uh, Mastodon's bedazzled fingernails will be the camp classic. I wrestled a bear once will be our moshed in translation. I should probably don't need to explain what that's about. Uh, and Walls in the Throne Room and Between the Buried and Me are going into the jukebox, but you'll have to listen to find out who picks what. And if we fall out over them, um, I'm not expecting fisticuffs, but, you know, anything's possible down an internet connection these days. Until then, though, uh, listen to Kairos, listen to Agrupni, listen to Unrequited, and remember, it does get better. Goodbye. Until our next rendezvous. Cheerio.
very nice. But seriously, beyond Matt's you know pleasant outro, uh, do listen to Unrequited, or we will gossip about you behind your back. We're not kidding. <laughs> we we will find out all the rumours. <laughs>